I just want to say, I want to say how impressed I was when I came back from vacation. One of the first things I did was to ask Pat how the prayer sign-up was going, and she showed me the prayer sign-up sheet, and as Chris mentioned this morning, almost complete. And I just love that about this church. When we have these prayer vigils, or last August when we had our prayer and fasting time, this church loves to pray. The people in this body love to pray. And the power that accompanies prayer in our lives, and of course around the world, is transcendent. We cannot even fully measure what happens when we bow our hearts before the throne of grace. He does, in fact, give us help in time of need. So, kudos to the Holy Spirit and your response to the Spirit in signing up for those. I pray that each one of you, if you have not signed up yet, will consider looking at the slots that remain available and sign up for that also. Of course, we're going to have a wonderful time of fellowship on Easter with the brunch following the service. So, for those of you who uh, are foodies, good cooks, Be sure to sign up for that as well. We've been doing a series on the glorious gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news that we have become partakers of. And I've been trying to communicate to you the reality that the gospel was in God's mind before the creation. God, because He is omniscient, all-knowing, knew exactly what would transpire with creation. He knew that when He gave Adam and Eve the choice in the garden, that they would choose to follow their own will rather than His. But God, in response to what He knew would happen, provided a way for us to return to a righteous relationship with Him. The message this morning is titled, Righteousness and the Redeeming King. In the Old Testament, there are two themes of prophecy with regards to the Messiah. And the ancient rabbis understood this. In fact, they were so confused about it that they actually, in some factions, created the theology that there would be two messiahs. There would be a messiah ben Joseph. A messiah who was to suffer. For they had read through Isaiah 53. They knew that this was speaking of the Messiah, the one who was to come, the anointed one. But they also had read of the Messiah who was coming to reign. And they called that Messiah Messiah ben David, or Messiah the son of David. The Messiah who would come as a political king and establish a kingdom that would bless the entire earth and Through his reign, the entire earth would experience righteousness as God intended it to be. However, there weren't to be two messiahs. 
What they failed to consider was that there would be two comings of the one Messiah, Jesus Christ, who first came as a suffering servant, came there in, to Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. Now, for some of us, that may not mean much, that Jesus came into Jerusalem at his first coming, riding on the back of a donkey. But it's very significant. It's very significant. Because a king who came in peace would come into a city riding on the back of a donkey. This is what Solomon did when he established himself as the king to follow David. He rode into Jerusalem on the back of David's donkey. So when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he was saying, I am coming in peace. He was coming, in fact, to suffer for our sins, to pay the price upon the cross for my sin and for your sin, so that at the end of the six hours there upon the cross, he would be able to say, to test, that's a hard word to say, to testify, it is finished. But the second time Jesus will come, he will come as a conquering king. And it says in Revelation chapter 19 that he will enter back into human experience, not on a donkey this time, but riding upon a white horse. And the king who would enter riding upon a white horse was coming to conquer coming to overcome militarily and politically. So Jesus is going to return as the conquering king. And there is, throughout the Old Testament, prophecy with regards to that. But before we go there, before we get into that uh, concept of Jesus as the redeeming king, the conquering king, I want to talk a little bit about righteousness. You see... When Adam and Eve were created and placed there in the garden, they were created without sin. They were created to have fellowship with God. And the Bible records that they walked in the garden in sweet fellowship with the Lord in the cool of the day, face to face in perfect fellowship. But of course, once they sinned, that fellowship was broken. And the right relationship that they had experienced with God was severed. They were no longer in righteous standing with God. God said to them, in the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. What is death? Well, death is simply separation. When we die physically, our spirit, our soul, leaves our body. It is separated from it. The life force is separated from our body, and we die physically. But when we die spiritually, our spirit is separated from God. And that communion that at once existed between mankind and God has been severed. So there is no longer a righteous 
relationship, a right standing between mankind and God. But that was never God's intention. And thus, Jesus Christ, the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So God knew that Jesus, his son, would have to come to this earth and shed his blood to pay the price for our sin in order to restore us to right relationship. Now, here's what happens. And this is what all of us need to be aware of, certainly as Christians, but probably even more importantly for anyone out here this morning hearing my voice who is not a believer. When Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says that they became aware of their nakedness. And they hid from God. And what else did Adam and Eve do? They tried to cover their own nakedness with fig leaves that they had sewn together. Now, the fig leaves are symbolic of the righteousness that man tries to create for himself. To cover his sin with his own effort. And we've been doing that ever since Adam and Eve first took those fig leaves and tried to cover their nakedness and hide from God. Assuming that God did not know, that God could not perceive. But here's the reality. Our righteousness, the righteous works that we do, the things that through our own will we try to impress God by, those things are as filthy rags. Isaiah 64, 6. Very clearly, the Lord says, your righteousness is as filthy rags before me. So the best that we can do is filthiness before God. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will by no means achieve the kingdom of heaven. So there's something about human attempts to achieve righteousness that falls far short of what is required by God. If we want to enter back into right standing with God, there has to be the shedding of blood. When God said to Adam, Adam, where are you? And Adam came forth, and his sin was revealed. What did God do? He slew an animal, the Bible says. He shed blood. And he took the skin of the animal, and he covered Adam and Eve, foreshadowing the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. And through the shedding of that blood, there was once again a right relationship established between Adam, man, and God. So it's so important that you understand that you cannot enter into a right relationship with God. You cannot achieve righteousness through your own works. It will never impress God. It will never overcome the chasm of sin 
that exists. Only the shedding of blood. And ultimately, it was the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, that would remove sin. Because the sin of the animal that God slew was only a foreshadowing. Or excuse me, the blood of the animal God slew. The blood of all of the animals that would be slain subsequent to that. And throughout the Mosaic Covenant, all of those animals, all of their blood, only covered sin. Because the sin sacrifice had to be continually repeated. But Jesus Hebrews says, once and for all, removed sin. So when we trust in his sacrifice, when we believe in him, we are restored into a perfect relationship with God. It says in Hebrews 10.30 that there remains no more sacrifice for those who reject the sacrifice of the blood of the Son of God. There's no other place for you to go. There's no other life that can be shed, blood that can be poured out that will pay the price of sin. So in order for us to enter into righteous standing with God, we must have faith in the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ. His death upon the cross his burial, and his resurrection from the dead. That is how righteousness is reestablished. And God always intended for man to have a righteous relationship with him. So if you are here this morning and you have not trusted in the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ for your sin, it's as simple as saying, Lord, I believe. It's as simple as just taking a hold of what he has done on your behalf and through faith believing that that was enough to remove your sin. Righteousness is reestablished. But there's going to come a time, the Bible says, where Jesus will return to the earth, a second coming. And On Easter, that is going to be the focus of my message, the return of Jesus Christ, what that looks like, what it's all about. There is going to be a returning and a redeeming king. It talks about his kingdom throughout the Old Testament. It says in Genesis chapter 12 that the seed of Abraham will bless the entire earth and all the families of the earth. It says in Daniel chapter 7 that the kingdom that is established by the Messiah will be a never-ending kingdom. It says in Jeremiah chapter 23 that the kingdom that Jesus established will be a kingdom of righteousness. So the people who live in it will be in a right relationship with him. If they are not, and this is the interesting part, There will be some people who, as Jesus returns, who will not ultimately remain in right relationship with him. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. But Jesus will exercise with a rod of iron his righteous rule. You see, when Jesus returns, 
He is going to overcome the Antichrist who will have established his own kingdom here upon the earth. At the Battle of Armageddon, the Bible says that Jesus will slay the Antichrist and defeat the armies of the earth that have joined together with the Antichrist in opposition to the true Christ. Jesus will defeat them and he will establish his own kingdom in Jerusalem. It talks about this in Isaiah chapter 2. I want to read this to you. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of all of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all of the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations. He will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So for a thousand years, Jesus will establish his kingdom upon the earth there in Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations. He will establish a righteous rule from Jerusalem. But during that thousand years, there will be people that will be born, people who do not come into a righteous relationship with Jesus Christ through the shed blood at Calvary. Listen to this. This is extraordinary. It's in Zechariah chapter 14. It says, The survivors from all of the nations that attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king. So those who survived the battle of Armageddon, all of those nations, there will be some that survive will go up year after year to worship the king. Jesus will have established his, his throne there in Jerusalem. And the nations will go there to worship the king, the Lord Almighty, and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Now here's the interesting part. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord Almighty, they will have no reign. If the Egyptians do not go up and take part, they will have no reign. The Lord will bring on them the plague he inflicts upon all of the nations that will not go up to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. So during this thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, where he will be visibly present in Jerusalem, exercising a righteous rule between the nations, there will be some that that choose not to Follow his dictates, follow his commands, follow his uh, directives. Most will, but some will not. And those who do not, the Bible says, will bring upon themselves plagues and a lack of blessing. So, so here's the thing, and here's where I want to conclude today. Righteous relationship is all about the gospel. That's what God has formed the gospel for, so that we can enter into right relationship with him. 
So the application from the message this morning is to be aware of what it takes to enter into righteous relationship with God. That is by grace through faith in his shed blood, in his resurrection. And then, subsequently, to begin to live a life empowered by the Spirit that reflects the reality that you are a subject of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. See, now here's where sometimes we miss it as Christians, unfortunately. We come to Christ, we believe, or we express faith that we believe in his sacrifice for our sin. But then we go about living our lives according to our own will, according to our own choices, according to the dictates of our hearts, rather than the word of God that he has given to us. I've talked to so many Christians over the years who, who really, honestly, if truth be told, aren't that interested in the kingdom of God. They sort of look at the gospel as a a safety net, an insurance marker, something that gets them into heaven. But really, other than that, they want to do their own thing. And I, I find it interesting because I wonder why you would want to spend eternity with a God that you aren't really interested in spending a lifetime with. I mean, really, you know? Some people have told me, well, you know, I believe, Greg, but church really just isn't for me. And I'm like, really? You know, hanging out with Christians isn't for you? What are you going to do in eternity? You know, because you're only going to have Christians and God for eternity. So you might as well get used to it now. But, but you know... What goes through people's minds? Yeah, you know, I've got my insurance card. I'm going to get into heaven. I'm going to, you know, whatever heaven is. We have the opportunity in this life, once we have been redeemed and brought into right relationship with God, to experience the multitude of blessings that that presupposes. We get to live in a life filled with the Spirit of God. We get to walk with one another, as Jenny said here this morning, and exercise love to share our lives, our ups, our downs, our goods and our bads. As I've said to you many times, the church is not a place of perfection. The church is a laboratory of love. It's where we get to experiment, where we have to practice what it means to truly love. And Experience the power of God within that. So righteousness, right relationship with God, beginning to walk with the idea that I am a child of the king. I am a part of his kingdom. And his kingdom begins now. His kingdom begins when you believe. And you get to begin to practice life in that kingdom, which will extend 
for the remainder of time with the old earth and the old heaven in which we now live into the new heaven and the new earth where Peter says righteousness will dwell. So get used to it. Begin to love it now. Rejoice when you get to come and share time with other believers of like precious faith. Rejoice that you have the opportunity to speak to him at any time and know that he hears your prayers. It's a wonderful life. It's a blessed life. And it's all made possible because of the gospel, because of God's desire to have you in his family. Lord, we thank you for the holy promise that we have in your word of salvation through Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love that never fails. And Lord, my prayer here this morning is that each one of us would step into that perfect righteousness that you have given to us through Jesus Christ that you would clothe us, clothe us with the robe of his righteousness and that we would truly rejoice in the opportunity we have to walk as sons and daughters, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Lord, I pray just in echoing Jenny's sharing this morning, I pray that our lives would be joined together in the family of God here at Community Church. That love would become the benchmark for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to conclude by singing that hymn, Crown Him with Many Crowns, the returning King. So let's all rise.